Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you today about restored with gold. Restored with gold. So, you know, my wife put something up this morning on uh, Facebook, August the 6th, 2023. She says, you know, my heart goes out Japanese people are mourning the loss they suffered uh, when two atomic bombs were dropped. This is 78 years ago in Hiroshima, Nagasaki. And do you know that uh, General Douglas MacArthur had another plan to take over Japan and actually over North Korea, but unfortunately politicians went behind his back and said, we're going to drop the bomb. Mm -hmm. And he was the leader of all of our military at that time. And he was a bit upset because he felt like he understood Asia and understood Japanese culture and how to, you know, end the war in a way that wouldn't have as much bloodshed. <coughs> Unfortunately, it was what it was and the war was stopped and and Japan, the Japanese people every year at this time stop and have a moment of silence. I mean, this is 78 years. It's a long time ago. Yeah, and and yet they still mourn. And they're the ones who are leading against the fight against nuclear weapons. A lot of times the Japanese are. And they haven't been allowed to have their own military since the war. Now they have a, a military that protects them on their shore, but they're not allowed to go out. America is still has a station, a base in Okinawa, Japan, which I've been on before. And it's amazing the relationship between the Japanese and Americans. But there is an authentic move of God that is taking place in Japan. Japan has historically been less than 1% Christian for decades. And I mean, that's all this is, when I say statistics, these statistics include all Protestant groups, all Catholic groups, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, who we don't believe are evangelical or Christian. But what they're saying is there's such few people that are born again in Japan. And the greatest growth of Christianity in the history of Japan as a nation was after World War II. Because when the bomb was dropped, um, one of the things that Douglas MacArthur did was he went and met with Hirohito, the emperor of Japan <laughs> at the time, and told him, you have to get on the radio and tell these people, the Japanese people, that you are not a god. Because he understood how dangerous that was. You know, when people serve a political agenda, that's one thing, but if they believe they're serving a God, it promotes the willingness to blow yourself up, right? 
like what we see with Muslims today happening as terrorists, this was in Japan. And does anybody know what we used to call them? Who used to? Kamikazes. Kamikazes. They would fly their planes into the ships of the Americans. But they had a motivation for that. So when MacArthur did that, he was trying to tear down idolatry. And I'm not saying everything that he did was because he was a Christian, but because he had an understanding of culture and why people believe what they believe. So when Hirohito did that, MacArthur asked for missionaries from the United States to come help rebuild the country. And so there was a great amount of Christianity that started to grow after World War II in Japan. But the problem is the people still looked at Christianity as an American religion. They don't realize that it's older, it's as old as Japan as a culture. Japan is 3,000 years old culture. The US, what, 400 years or less than that? And then you have Christianity is about 2,000 years. And then obviously our roots are in our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. That's Jesus was Jewish, right? The Old Testament was all Jewish, right? And then uh, I won't go into all that. But the, the point of what I'm saying is, is that when MacArthur called in missionaries to help rebuild Japan, people got saved. People came to the Lord. But then they still look at it as an occupied religion, as and being an occupied state. And so these leaders are in their 80s, and they have not been able to pass on much to the next generation. So a very interesting thing is happening in Japan. There are actually houses of prayer and a love for the Jewish people that is stirring in the hearts of these Japanese churches. Again, it's less than 1% Christian, okay? And I, I forget the population of Japan. It might be around 100 million. Uh, it, it could be a little less or more than that. But the point is, is that there is more of an authentic move of God that's taking place now because people who are getting saved are doing so because of Jesus encountering them. And so our daughter, Japan, who's in Japan right now, Sierra, has a great opportunity to see a harvest, I believe, that's coming. Um, that I believe there'll be a great revival and awakening in Japan that will shock people because it's the least expected place where people think God will move. Uh, One of those places. So bringing this up today, uh, Hiroshima was bombed on August 6th. And Nagasaki was bombed on the 9th. And so I'm talking about being restored with gold today. What does it mean to be restored? Well, uh, it, it's typical to like so much destruction that takes place with a bombing. And you imagine a city being rebuilt, families being able to come back and you know, jobs and farming started again and just culture and society being rebooted. And so when you and I go through individual things that are hard and we feel broken and we're not sure how things can be put back together, life can be very difficult. 
because we have patterns of thinking that we're not sure if God loves us. We're not sure because we've seen our parents get divorced and we see our culture and society telling us that, you know, you, you might not be a man, although you look like a man. You might actually be a woman internally or vice versa. And so there's so much confusion nowadays and people getting restored in this day and age is a very necessary thing. And what we do in the church a lot of times, we're like, here, if you just pray this prayer and come to Jesus and go to church and get water baptized and go to Sunday school, you're a Christian now. We don't give people time to find out if they're a Christian for themselves. We want to tell them they're a Christian so we can feel better about the empty chairs in our churches. Amen. But here's the deal. We can never save a single person. We can only plant and we can only water seeds. And if we will do our part and stop trying to do God's part, we will have more authentic conversions taking place in the church that people will be added to our number and we will not only have believers, but we will have disciples. Amen. 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 In Hosea 6 verse 1, in the expanded Bible, it's a different version you probably don't have with you today. It says, come, let us go back, return to the Lord. He has heard us, torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage, bind up our wounds. What does it mean to be restored in Christ? It means that you and I have to allow ourselves to be broken down. That we have to become weak like we were just singing about. That when we allow our lives to be shattered to pieces and we come to God and we say, here's the pieces I've tried to put back together myself. No, that's not what God wants. He's not asking you to fix yourself before you come to him. He's saying, come to me as you are and I'll fix you. Amen. Amen. Pieces and all. In fact, brother, can you hand me that vase right there? I like this vase because, look, it's got cracks all over it. You see it? Yeah. All these cracks in the glass, and it's kind of cool looking. That's what a lot of people's lives look like. In fact, most people don't even have it all together like that. And, and I like how there's a candle in it because we're like, well, let me let my light shine. But what if we don't have a vase that can hold that light? What if we just have it and, and people look at it and say, well, your life is all messed up. Why should I want what you have? When God allows us to be broken, we're experiencing to some level what Jesus experienced in his own brokenness. Except Jesus didn't have to be broken because Jesus never sinned. But sin leads to trouble, leads to death leads to hopelessness, leads to depression, leads to society and cultural breakdown, leads to all kinds of hardship and marriages and families, leads to drugs, leads to alcohol, leads to perversion, leads to child sex trafficking. The world is progressively getting worse. And that's what the scripture tells us would happen. But at the same time, we believe that greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. Yes. 
And so if we don't demonstrate through a broken lifestyle that Jesus can restore us, then there's really no hope if we just tell people to come to church. No, they don't need church. They need Jesus. Yes, amen. And the church looks like Jesus will be effective. Oh, hallelujah. But a church that tries to be the body without Jesus being the head, that's not something we really want to be a part of. Yes, amen. that's right. Amen. We've decapitated Jesus from his own church. Mm-hmm. I know that's a gruesome detail, but here's, here's the fact of the matter is that if we don't do things God's way and we keep trying to do it our way, we're only going to make things worse. And we're not helping the situation. We're doing something called religion, which is having a form of godliness but denying the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is this, is that Jesus takes broken people and restores them and empowers them and releases them in such a way as to demonstrate his kingdom so that he can, we can share testimonies oh, of how God changed us. You see, how I know if somebody's a Christian is not by if they're wearing Christian clothes, whatever that is, or, or have a, you know, carrying a Bible or a bumper sticker on their car. I love Jesus, right? I asked them in the Philippines, you know, 80% of the people who are in the Philippines are Catholic. And I'll say, are, are you a Christian? And most of them will say, oh, yes. Okay, okay. I'll say, great. What did Jesus save you from? And I think about it for a moment. Then they say, sin. I go, oh. Okay, they, you know, they think they got the answer, you know. <laughs> General, it's right to some degree. Then I'll say, okay, what sin did Jesus set you free from? You see, here's the problem. If you can't tell me what Jesus set you free from, guess what? You ain't free. What are you talking about, Pastor Miller? I'm not like that drug dealer. I'm not a terrorist. Oh, okay, so you're comparing yourself to other people and not to God. You were created in His image. That's right. His likeness. He's the standard. If we don't look like Him, then there's no other way to look like Him except to humble ourselves. And say, I need you, Lord. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. Amen. When Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, He opens our spiritual eyes to see. That's why Paul when he was called Saul at that time, when he experienced, he was going to persecute Christians, right? He was a religious Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was taught by the greatest leader at that time, Gamaliel, I think is what his name was. And during Paul's life, he had memorized the first five books of the Torah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Try memorizing one chapter of the Bible. Yes. He had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have you ever tried to read Numbers? Mm-hmm. No, but there's powerful stuff in it, and it's very important that we see this chronolo- uh, chronological order, and we see the history of the generations, because it really shows and points the picture that Jesus is the Messiah. It's actually a very important book. But... This is what Paul knew. 
anybody down. He was authoritative. He was powerful. You did not mess with Paul. And so Paul was on the road to Damascus to go and persecute Christians. And what happens? He gets knocked down and he's blinded. And a voice speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then, okay, reality sets in. I am convicted of my sin now. <laughs> Paul gets right with God. Three days later, a man, was it Agabus? Ananias. Ananias comes and prays for him. And he says like scales fall from his eyes. Yeah. See, that's what happens when people get really born again. Yes, that's right. Amen. They might see physically, but they don't see spiritually. There you go. Mm -hmm. And only Jesus can do that. And when Saul, Paul, was able to start seeing, he realized that everything in the scripture pointed to Jesus. So he became the most authoritative man of God during that time and probably might ever be because God used him to write much of what we have in the New Testament. A few of the epistles the letters to the churches. Mm -hmm. Paul wrote that, not just with his past memorization, but with his revelation of the truth of the word of God. He was so restored from his brokenness that in his weakness, he became strong and he became a threat to the Roman government. <clears throat> that was a whole lot worse than what we have today. And I understand America, this bent, bent towards socialism and communism, which to most people in this room seems ludicrous. The amount of American soldiers who gave their life to fight against those things. But communism, these things were nothing like the Romans. They were brutal absolutely brutal and have become the standard that many look to today and say that's the most brutal people group many times in history people point back to them but Paul in his weakness became strong and was sent to Rome and revival everywhere Paul went there was a move of God that took Churches were established. Testimonies were established. People got saved and restored and healed. He said, if the Jews don't accept me, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And thank God that he went to the Gentiles. Amen? Amen. Probably everybody in this room. <laughs> That's right. But Paul was led by the Holy Spirit across. He didn't have airplanes. He didn't have trains. He didn't have automobiles. He had horses. He had ships, he had chains, and the gospel was not to be held back. He gave everything and was beheaded in Rome by Nero. We've been to the prison where Paul was held. It's called Marmitime Prison in Rome. And where he dictated to somebody who was writing some of those letters to the Colossians and the Philippians, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And then Nero, took him out one day and beheaded him and they separated his body from his head and they buried him because he was a threat. He was a prophetic voice 
that nobody wanted to mess with. And Nero said, I don't like this guy. He incites too much trouble. Let's kill him. But he only made things worse for himself. Because it wasn't long after that the Roman government eventually starts to fall some centuries later. And even though I said centuries, the fact is they were so strong, there wasn't any indication that there was going to be a fall. But yet great men and women of God took the gospel around the world. They went to so many different places and preached the gospel of the kingdom and lives were changed. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, Paul says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete. Be complete. Everybody say complete. complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. The word for complete there in the Greek is katarizo. It means to be complete thoroughly, to repair, to be adjusted, to fit, to frame, to mend, to make perfect, to be perfectly joined together, to be restored. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just become a part of our lives. He wants to become the Lord. Yes, amen. And so restoration is not about him just putting more money in your pocket yes. and giving you peace, love, and happiness. Yes. That is very little to do with it, although it's a part of it. What Jesus comes to do is to do what nobody else could have done for you and me. And if it wasn't for the blood that Jesus shed for you and me on that cross, there would be absolutely no hope for us when we die. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Because nobody is good enough to keep the law. Yes. Nobody is good enough to keep up traditions and rules and regulations. Uh, nobody was able to do that. We see even Israel time and time again failing in the tabernacle, failing in the temple. The priests failing. Moses failing. Wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Had to see it from a distance. Yes. Why? Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. But there was one man who came. And he came to a virgin with the seed of God. And he was born and he lived about 33 years. Yes. And we know about three, three and a half years of his life. The rest of it, we'd know very, very little, most nothing. But he grew up as a carpenter's son and was tempted in all ways, such as you and I are, but yet without sin, because he was not under the mastery of sin. He was not a slave to sin. He was perfect in all of his ways. He honored his parents. He never allowed ungodly thoughts to rule his mind. He never allowed his tongue to slip and say something that he shouldn't say. His body language was always perfect. He never had an attitude that, that could be called sin. His character was absolutely perfect. And so when the blood of Jesus shed and it dropped off of that cross that he was crying out saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That drop of blood hit the ground. His head fell down and he closed his eyes and he breathed his last and the earth began to shake and there was an earthquake and there was a storm. And the Roman guards who were there said, he was a son of God. And the veil was torn in two, a thick veil that was ripped. No man could ever do that. Right. From top to bottom. Right. And they could see right into the most holy place. You weren't supposed to look at that. 
But now there was a way prepared. That's right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why am I magnifying what he did? Because when you really understand what he's done for you, then you understand restoration is not about you just being forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven. Restoration is about you demonstrating the kingdom and proclaiming the gospel until you go breathe your last. That's right. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to be much longer, but I want to show you something on the screen here. How many of you have ever heard of the Japanese term kintsugi? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. We're in Gumboro, so I don't know how much <laughs> Japanese uh, you brush up on lately. But <laughs> Kintsugi, it literally is translated golden joinery. It is the art of repairing a broken pottery with a lacquered, dusted, or mixed with gold, silver, or platinum. Legend has it that in the 15th century, a Japanese shogun broke his favorite Chinese bowl and sent it to China to be repaired. When it returned to him repaired with ugly staples, he commissioned Japanese craftsmen to find a more flattering method of repair. Thus, Kintsugi was born, and the practice became part of Japanese culture. The Japanese embraced kintsugi as a beautiful statement of restoring broken things and giving them new life. That was broken pottery. Look at all the gold. Remember the title of this message is Restored with Gold. What are we restored with? Does God use gold, silver, or platinum? No. He uses the most precious commodity that can be found anywhere in the universe. The blood of Jesus. Amen. That's what the blood of Jesus does for you and me. See, without Jesus, we're not valuable. What do you, well, he thought we were valuable to give our lives for us. But without him, we have no value. Amen? Amen. See, when we think we have value without God, that's where we get into trouble. That's why the devil is where he is. And will be forever. Because he tried to set himself up against the Most High. The greatest revelation I think I've ever had is that he's God and I'm not. Amen. <laughs> you think about that for a moment. Maybe you never thought, you know, waking up one day, you know, I feel like God today. <laughs> maybe you didn't have that thought. But maybe you had the thought that I don't need God. I can do this on my own. Yeah. It's the same thing. That's right. You just... Don't want to admit it but when we do admit it and we do say lord i realize that i have fallen farther than i realized and that i desperately need you in my life and i am broken i need you to put me back together he says let me give you the blood of jesus let me put you together see this is beautiful right here this broken glass imagine if that had gold all through it you see, when, when we become born again, we don't lose our identity. Our identity gets enhanced. Because not only do people still see us, but they see that blood of Jesus. They see that goal. They see that value. They see something in you and me that we could not make happen. They see something in us that only he could do. The resurrected Jesus, that's who lives in you and me. The one who separated light from darkness. 
The one who sits at the right hand of the Father, living to make intercession for us. The one who is so powerful, they call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are not a prince in the kingdom of heaven or a princess. You're actually kings because you have his authority. Amen. There's a difference. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. If, you know, my daughters would say, oh, you're such your little princess. We love you, Bob. You know, I understand what that means, but as a Christian, we have authority. That's right. Amen. And our authority is of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes. Amen. That's a different authority. Yes. That's an authority that says there's nobody else bigger or higher. That's right. This is it. That's right. The blood of Jesus is the gold God uses to fill in the broken cracks of our lives. What does it mean for Jesus to completely restore us? Let me give you. Uh, just a few things I'm just going to read through. Number one, uh, Jesus repairs us from the nature of sin. Our inherited nature from Adam and Eve. Number two, Jesus adjusts us to the standards of his word. He is the word that became flesh. So he, he doesn't just say, okay, I'm just going to empower you to learn everything from me. No, he says, I'm going to live in you and I'm going to teach you all things. In fact, you don't even need another teacher because the Holy Spirit lives in you. But he says, I am going to help you by giving you apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, parents, godly mentors, and leaders who will help equip you and train you up in the way you should go. Jesus, number three, mends us in the love of his presence. So here's the difference between Buddha and Muhammad and all these other people who had these great claims of being a prophet or being God or something else is that they're all dead and Jesus rose and he lives in us and he wants to communicate with us. He's not interested in us just following him and hopefully we make it. No, he's saying you can make it. You can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. Number four, Jesus perfects us in the power of his holiness. And number five, Jesus joins us in relationship with one another. We are fitted together. It's so hard to convince people to stay at a church and be faithful. We had this conversation with somebody this past week. And, you know, if I had a plant, let's say this is a pot, and we put a plant in here, It'll grow if we water it, keep it in sunlight, maintain it. But if you take this out of this pot and put it in another one, or you don't like that pot, you go to another pot, another one, you're not being rooted and established in the Lord for yourself, so you don't see the value of producing fruit. See, too much of Christianity here in America and in the Philippines, unfortunately, is that we think it's about me and my relationship with Jesus. That's part of it. But who you are in the Lord matters to everybody else. So if you don't do what God asks you to do, and you put it off, and you say, well, I'm not really hurting anybody. Oh, yes, you are. Because if you tell me to believe in something that's not biblical, and you want me to accept your pronouns, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I love you. I don't hate you. But you can't redefine things. 
kids. Yeah. Amen. And, and I'm not just talking about people who struggle with that. I'm talking about Christians who have a form of godliness that have a type of religion. They are creating a type of Christianity that doesn't exist. It's called idolatry. And what we do is we serve God on our terms. And we say, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. No, that's not how it works. No, this is how you serve God. Die to self. That's not popular at all. And we're so afraid to preach those things nowadays. You know why? Because we say, if you don't preach a lot of grace and love, then people aren't going to want what you have. No, people don't want what we have because there's so much hypocrisy. If they saw the real deal, week after week, month after month, year after year, people being faithful, then they'll come to Jesus. Then they'll not only come to Jesus, but they'll serve the Lord. And give themselves fully over it and not make excuses. See, I was, I was this way. And I know you've heard me share this before. But I, I was just down the road at Dagsburg Church of God. Serving as a youth pastor from sometime in 93 to about 97, August of 97. I think Chuck was an elder at that time. And we did all kinds of incredible things. Busy ministry of Fourth of July, tens of thousands of people, flyovers from the Air Force. You know, it was amazing. We'd stand on that uh, $12,000 outdoor stage and yeah. sing a song at the end, and then the fireworks would go off, $10,000 worth of fireworks. Yeah. Businesses, people would get some, it was a huge deal. Thanksgiving thousands, amazing. We did Easter cantatas, Christmas cantatas. Casey and I, we played Mary and Joseph one year yeah. with a fake baby. Cindy, Cindy was a part of everything. Cindy would call with other teenagers, probably about 500, 1,000 teenagers, literally every week inviting them to church. I, I, I mean, do you remember that? I don't, I don't know if you do or not, but it's probably because you renewed your mind from that. Um, but like, we would do events with the young people. We were busy. We were successful. We purchased 40 acres of land. We built onto the church. And there was all kinds of good things that were happening, and God used it. But I will tell you this. I was addicted to pornography during that time. And nobody knew about that except me, Jesus, and the devil. And I thought by getting into the ministry that these things would just go away. I thought by getting married these things would go away. But friend, there's only one way that you can have breakthroughs, and that's the blood of Jesus. Oh, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, I was going to Baltimore sometimes once a week for two to three months at a time to go meet with a Christian psychologist on how to get free. Every Wednesday, get up early, go meet with this guy, come back and have youth group that night. And nobody knew. Nobody had a clue. And sometimes I had accountability partners where I would confess a little bit because I didn't want to be shamed. And I would tell you, I would drive to to far distances during the middle of the night just to go get this garbage because it ruled. I was a slave. It mastered my life. Yes. Yes. 
And then I eventually, Casey found out what was going on. We were only eight months pregnant. And it was shame and, and condemnation and guilt and fear. What are people going to think of me? Blah, 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 blah. But the Lord cornered me. Thank you, Lord. He said, Eric, unless I break you, you'll never be what I could do in your life. And I stood up in front of that church on a Sunday morning in August of 1997. I'll never forget, there were about 500 people there. And I repented. And at the time, we had regularly 50 plus teenagers in the youth group. I mean, we were constantly, everything looked great. The church, they paid me so well. I mean, I was so, financially, there was no concerns. They wanted to help us get a vehicle and Casey and I get a car. Uh, I mean, it was, or house, I mean. I mean, there was, I had no complaint about them. It was me. And when I repented in front of that church, I was crying, I was embarrassed, small town, didn't have any clue what was next, thought ministry was over with. Walked down the middle of the aisle to meet Casey at the back door. And by the time I get to the middle of the aisle, I feel like chains with like hooks in my flesh was pulled off of me. Amen. Amen. And I didn't know what happened, but I knew I was free. I just oh, knew it. Thank you. I got to Casey at the back door and I said, I don't know what happened, but I know I'm free. And I didn't know she'd ever believe me. I knew I had to win back her trust. And it sometimes it took years. But I want to tell you something. We're, this January would be 27 years we're married. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Five kids who love Jesus. Amen. And I can't tell you how many testimonies I've seen of what God has done in spite of us. Yeah. <laughs> Not just because of us. I've seen transvestites come to Jesus. I've seen people who are broken. Broken. Not knowing how their life can be put back together. Poor, hopeless, depressed, suicidal. And they get free. And they're making a huge impact for the gospel now. Here we read one last scripture. Job 42, verses 10 through 11. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as what he had before. Remember Job's story. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. A man who was broken and had no idea how his life could be put back together. Jesus did it. Amen. That's what he's done for me and you. Amen. That's what he'll do for anybody in this room. That's what he'll do for any marriage. That's what he'll do for those prodigal sons and daughters. That's what he'll do for your life and everything that is important to you. That's what he will do. He is the standard setter. I want to tell you, if I could share with you the amount of breakthroughs financially. Can I just share with you one last story? Oh, yeah. I know it's been a while. But 
when we went to uh, the Philippines in November, it was because the day that we came back from Italy on October 12 or 13, we flew into Charlotte. And that night, we had some friends, uh, Dr. Glenn and Lori Rowe, who we've known for years. They used to live up near Dover. And they picked us up to stay with them because we were there for a conference that week after we just came from Italy. And they had a, when we got to their house, Casey and I, the room we were in, they had a couch. And on the couch, there was a picture. And it was a picture of a Filipino in this tribal garb. It's called the Matik Silo uh, tribe. And he was, had his hand extended. And he is saying, please come to the Philippines and help us. The young man who drew that picture did it based off of Paul's Macedonian call. And I gave that photo to them over 15 years ago. For some reason, she found it, put it on the chair so that when we arrived, I saw that photo. When I saw it, the Lord said, you're going back to the Philippines. I said, wow, but there were still restrictions. So I looked up tickets. Tickets were $2,000 each, one way. I said, that's not God's will. <laughs> so we prayed and I looked up again and we were in Florida so usually we fly in and out of Tampa or Orlando and I felt like prompted to look up flights out of Sarasota Sarasota, it's one of the more expensive places to fly in and out of so I looked, there were one way tickets for five of us that totaled $5,000 so I'm like really tempted, but I don't know if I should buy it because the restrictions are still in. If I go, they might just turn us away and we'd have to come back. So what do I do, Lord? He said, buy the tickets. Mm -hmm. Buy the tickets. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> hey, click. Two days later, the Philippines lifted all restrictions. Oh. We arrive in Davao City December 1st. Takes two days to get there. And, and then my daughters, Abby and Sierra, uh, showed up about a week later. It was just amazing. Sierra was supposed to move at the end of March to Japan. And this is what she wanted to do since she was 14 years old. She's 25 now. Wow. So we're like, we have to go, but we don't have the money. It's going to cost $5,000 for the five of us to fly, fly there. We have places to stay and everything, you know, food and all that. But I'm like, Lord. And I knew we're coming to the Saints in May, and I know I'm supposed to go to Italy in July. I'm like, and this is beyond the monthly. We feed 120 kids every week. We have full-time Filipino staff. We've got bills in, this, in the Philippines. You get it. So this is all going through my mind. Okay, Lord, I know we're supposed to go, but we don't have the money. Click. <laughs> buy the tickets. We go, to, we go to Japan. For 10 days, Jonathan and I uh, go to Okinawa, Japan to go minister in some churches while Casey and the kids stay in a place called Miyazaki. It's the island of Kyushu, the southernmost island of the mainland of Japan. Okinawa's out here. And so it takes about three hour flight to Okinawa. We get there, we're there for about 10 days, minutes, nine, 10 days, ministering to multiple churches. We, we've gone there many times over the years. And one of the churches that we're very close to, it's called Heaven, Heaven's Church. These, these folks have had 24-7 prayer for several years with less than 20, 25 people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. These are working people with families just like you. Phenomenal. 
They're hungry, hungry folks because they know their country is less than 1% Christian. And so we're there ministering. So at the end of the week, the pastor gives me an envelope. It's offering. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And they've always blessed us. It's been amazing. And then they hand me another envelope. And it's like really thick. And I go, what's this for? And I go, well, since you were not here for the last three years, we've been saving offerings for you. Oh. It totaled about $7,000. It paid for our tickets. It paid for part of our, we just moved in a new house. We hadn't had a house in two and a half years because we, we you know, we gave up our house because we were stuck in the States for so long uh, that we were renting. So it helped pay for some of the deposit on the house and it left a little bit of extra money for us to buy some furniture Amazing. to move in. Thank you, dude. Amazing. So we leave for Japan. We come back, all this amazing. I have a pastor's conference the week before we're leaving for the States at the end of May that we're, we're expecting several hundred. We had about 400 people show up, which was pretty good considering all the issues, restrictions. And, uh, and so we needed $1,000 to feed all these leaders. And I didn't have it. I'm like, Lord, this is yours. I don't know what to do with this. We're moving forward with this conference. We felt like it's you. It's a revival doorkeepers conference, what we call it. So um, within like a week later, a lady from a church in Central Florida that we spoke in several times, but we didn't really know her. She's Puerto Rican. She contacts me, and I remembered her because she was one of the last people to support one of our last kids. We still need sponsor for our feeding program back in November. And so I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. She goes, yeah. She goes, listen, I have something really wild to tell you. My sister just took a DNA test, and apparently we're cousins to you. <laughs> wow. I said, what? I said, yeah. I said, when you get here, we'd love to see you. I said, great. And so we still hadn't left the Philippines yet, but she emails me or messages me two days later. She says, ever since I told you about that, I've been really stirred that I'm supposed to send you something. So here's $1,000. Oh, wow. So I want everybody to take DNA tests today yeah. if you can, <laughs> just to make sure. But I, I'm telling you this. Not, friends, this is in spite of us. You have to understand, we don't make these things happen. That's right. And yet the Lord's doing it. Every bill is paid. Everything is taken care of. And we're going back full of faith to make disciples because of that right there. Amen. Everything's changed. Would you stand with me? Just lift your hands to the Lord this morning. Lord, here's my broken pieces. Here's my life. Here's my family. Here's my marriage. Here's my work. Here's everything that matters to me. Lord, I'm broken and I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of you to touch me and to change me, to heal me, to deliver me, to empower me. Today, we surrender our will to you. And we say, Jesus, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have anything. So, Lord, let your blood cover a multitude of our sin. Lord, let your blood be like gold putting us back together. And Lord, whether we've known you for years or whether we're getting back on track today to surrender ourselves to you, God, I pray that we would never give up seeking you and putting you first. 
Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about us. We give you everything, Lord. We ask you to have your way in our lives, that each of us would make an impact for your kingdom. Lord, no matter where we live, whether it be here in Gumboro or the Philippines or some other place, God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, that our prayers, our obedience, our faithfulness, the things that nobody knows about that we do in secret, it matters to you, Lord, and we want to give you honor and glory. We want the name of Jesus to be made famous. We want you to be honored. We want the restoration of what you have done in our lives and what you're doing, God, to present before you one day a restored people. A people, God, that that know you, that don't just know about you, but, Lord, a people that say, Lord, you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.